everyone. You're listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. My name is Kate Copsey, and I am the host of the show. You can contact me from my webpage, katecopsey.com, or through America's Web Radio Station site. This morning, we are going to talk to Larry Hodgson from the beautiful Quebec City in Canada. Good morning, Larry. Good morning. Yes, and you are obviously um, a prolific writer, Canadian writer, addressing uh, both the English and the French audiences. So how did you get into gardening in the first place and then take it into the writing side? Well, getting into gardening was absolutely normal in my family. My father was a serious gardener. Uh, we had no backyard. We had a vegetable garden and a nursery area and uh, t- fruit trees and all of that. And so we were raised in that. And as, from the time we were little kids, we all had our little plot of land to put our vegetables in. And so I cannot remember not having a garden. For me, it was just something I've always done. How did I become a garden writer? That took years and years. Uh, it actually didn't happen until I'd moved away from home. And essentially, for the first time in my life, was living in an apartment off the ground with nowhere to garden and going totally nuts because of that. And I needed to have an outlet for this frustration of not being able to garden. I started writing about houseplants. Oh, and obviously um, you're in quite a, a cold growing zone, but you're close to the St. Lawrence River. So yeah. what type of general gardening year weather-wise do you guys have? Well, uh, compared to most of the eastern seaboard, and interior areas of the U.S., it's cooler. Uh, right through the summer, it's cooler, and the season is shorter. We also have a, a rather late start in getting in, into the garden in the spring. Some years it can be pretty pretty hard to get started in the first first part of the season. I've had uh, years when I still had snow on the ground in my yard at the very beginning of June. Ooh. So that, that can slow you down a bit. <laughs> <laughs> De- definitely north. Um, yeah. Um, and does the does the, the closeness to um, that river kind of, if it's not frozen, um, particularly on the latter end of the year and being close, maybe some, not too far from, from the main ocean, um, does that ameliorate your um, fall tem- temperatures uh, a little bit as well? Oh, absolutely. It's, uh, and I would say more, we're, all, we're all going, I think, through periods where um, – the temperature seems to be getting warmer in general, maybe not this winter per se. And uh, I find the fall is, is one of the best seasons. We have a, a very long fall now, and I have not had frost before mid-October in about 20 years. So I've gained a, a, about a month, and we, I count on that a lot because the summer itself is, is fairly short. I mean, uh, rarely can I get anything into the ground other than maybe the really, really earliest stuff until late May, and it's usually June. I wouldn't dare put a tomato outside until at least the second week of June. It just would it would just sit there and do nothing. It might not freeze yet, but it would sit there and do absolutely nothing at that time of year. Yes, and I, I think basil does the same thing. Oh, you yeah. know, yes, you know, if you try and I, put that in, it doesn't get frosty, but unless it's what I, I call kind of swimsuit weather. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I must admit, um, last year I didn't get any of my sort of tender, heat-loving vegetables in the ground until the beginning of July. It was almost a month late, three weeks late, later than usual, but it was just too cool. 
And, of course, when you grow them, like, these are things that would start indoors, you know, peppers, uh, tomatoes, uh, cucumbers or whatnot. Um, they get leggy. <laughs> and you always think, when you're three weeks late in planting, you think they will not perform. But actually, they do fairly well once you get them outside. And is part of that because of the very long day length that you guys maybe get um, yeah. versus those of us down in the, the lower 48? Yeah, what that affects us most is that it helps compensate for a bit of we – can, we can maybe grow things a bit more in shadier spots than the average person could because the sun goes practically around the horizon. Not quite. We don't get full north. But – Still, in the morning, it, the sun is in the northwest, and it, in the afternoon, it's in, in the uh, north. No, sorry, around northeast in the morning, northwest in, uh, in the afternoon. So you get sun into parts of the garden you wouldn't get elsewhere. And the longer days do help. I mean, we tend to think of plants as being on sort of a twelve-hour clock, but most of them seem to react when you get longer days. They just grow a little bit bigger and a bit faster, and that does help us compensate for the cooler weather. And I would imagine that that makes you very careful as to which varieties um, you can grow because with it being, I guess, a short season and long day is a very different combination to sort of the normal days in, in down down here and maybe a longer season. Oh, absolutely. And it depends which vegetables, but some of them react differently. Uh, onions, you have to be very careful about onions or they, or they won't form a bulb if you don't plant the right ones. We we watch out for those. And um, a lot of other plants do tend to wreck it. I mean, I don't think we'd be able to grow tomatoes here for, for the longest days, longer days. They take so long to get started. But by July and certainly August, the days are long and not too cool. And usually they mature finally. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what would you call an average day high temp- temperature in, say, say August or something? Oh, August. High temperature in August, uh, average day. Would suddenly, it's not that cold, really. I'd say it's about uh, 21 or 22, 23 maybe, which is not that bad. It's just that we've had... We've waited through the months of June before we got any warm weather at all yeah. in most years. And that slows us down. And, of course... We don't get the, the, the horrible heat that, that stops things from growing. I mean, I can grow lettuce right through the summer. I mean, maybe not leaf lettuce. That goes to, to seed almost overnight. But uh, I can certainly grow uh, romaine lettuce from starting at maybe even late in May if, it's, if the weather is good. And it will still be in fine shape in the fall if I just harvest the out, outside leaves. Oh, wow. That would oh, be, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, there, there are advantages to being in the north. <laughs> <laughs> and and would, would I assume that um, Canadian garden gardeners kind of try and fudge the system, particularly at the early and the last end with cloths oh, yeah. and cold frames and all that type of stuff? Yes, I have a, I have a huge cold frame. You could practically call it a, a little greenhouse. And I use that a great deal. In fact, it's my cold frame during the spring months. In the summer months, I open a panel or two and just grow melons and things like that, which really don't like my climate. So it becomes sort of a summer greenhouse as well. Um, a lot of people have temporary greenhouses that they set up in the spring and keep things warm. And it's just a bit north of here, I'm sort of on the limit of where you can grow tomatoes or peppers outdoors. Just a little bit further north or into the mountains, everybody will have a, a pla- sort of plastic greenhouse for, the, for their tomatoes and, and, and peppers. You cannot grow them outdoors. They just don't mature. 
Yeah, and I think that's probably the same in in England because oh, yeah. yes, you know, I mean, you know, they they have to have greenhouses there. I think if they do want yeah. to, with the exception of a few summers, but you never really know, no, uh, no. sort of in in June, what sort of summer you're going to get, which is always kind of one of those catch twenty one type of things. Oh, absolutely! If you knew ahead of time it was going to be a warm summer, you might not need it. In England, I've been seems to be getting warmer, uh, much warmer during the summer than it used to be. But we do get stuck in that situation. Where it just doesn't warm up, and those plants that like the heat sit there and wait as if they're waiting for the heat to come. And uh, so, plastic, any kind of cover or greenhouse will will make a huge difference yeah. in getting your crops in in a reasonable length of time. And we do choose, of course, short season varieties. Uh, a lot of crops. Some things I would love to grow just for the fun of it, and I, I really can't grow, are uh, any of those long season corns, like the ornamental corns. I think they just look so great, and they never, they never have time to produce an ear in this climate. They just don't. But I can find sweet corn that is early enough, and it will grow. Okay. Um, and so what type of um, soils do do you get? Um, I know the town is, having been up there this past sum, last summer, um, it's very hilly. Does that indicate maybe that you get rocky soils rather than oh, yeah. clay soils, which a lot of us are, are, seem to get? Well, we'll have both. <laughs> oh. <laughs> any, any depression will fill with clay, but we're not far from the rock. See, most of our soil was carried off during the glaciation periods and, and dumped your way. So we don't have any great depth in soil. When I moved into my place, I essentially had no soil at all. I had to bring it in. It was I was on rock. It was a very friable rock. It's a very friable shale. And you can if you can get just a... Even two inches of good soil, the plants will actually root right into that rock, so it wasn't all that bad. But still, for vegetables, I, I like to have at least a foot of soil. And carrots especially <laughs> do not like shallow soils. <laughs> they really don't. Yeah, and I think that was a similar situation that we probably had in um, Virginia when we, we were kind of on a slope there. And, uh, and but, but the pH is fa- fairly good for, for most vegetables, kind of around a neutral type thing. No, here the soils tend to be uh, distinctly on the acid side. Uh, it depends where you are, but it can be even too acid. But that's fairly easy to correct. That's not a, a huge problem. But... Uh, Definitely, no, no, nobody around here has any kind of cell that would be, that would be hard. That would be uh... okay. And you know, when, when I know when you get particular soils, you know, a lot of things just just won't grow. Particularly grass and things like that. Put put some raised beds in, and of course, raised beds do address a lot of those um, oh, yeah. problems. That, um, that's that's my solution to almost everything. <laughs> Whatever your problem is, put a raised bed over it. It'll work fine. I mean, I have a lot of trees around. And uh, I've learned from experience when I'm putting a vegetable garden over where there are trees nearby, put down some sort of a barrier because the tree roots will go right in and take over. So I always I always do that. Uh, raised beds are, are definitely my thing in this climate. And of course, they warm up faster in, in the summer and stay warmer in the summer as well. And, and they're easy to cover as well, yeah. I, either with, with plastic or whatever, to keep that temperature cheating, um, yeah. It, yeah, which makes a big difference, I think, as well. Oh, yes. And I haven't, I said, haven't had a, a major frost in, in September in years, but I've been through that. And it's really quite annoying when about the 2nd of September they're announcing a frost and you even, you've only gotten about half your tomatoes in by then. <laughs> so I, I am quite used to running outside and covering things up 
or turning on the sprinkler. One thing we don't like in this climate is water. So, yeah, and you know, and I, I certainly think you know when when I, I turn when that first frost is about to hit, um, I'm never. You know that they're going to arrive, but I'm never quite ready for them when, when they say, you know, we're going to get a frost tonight. And I'm always pa- uh, panicking, trying to find cloths and things. I tend to go down, down to the local fabric store and buy sort of 15 yard, yards of um, stuff to put o- over over the plants. Um, you know, we, we, you know. <laughs> well, I have a pile of sheets that are used for painting and plants. I guess anything associated with the yeah. I yeah, yeah. yeah. They sit there to be used for one or the other. My problem is often I'll hear about frost and I'm not home. <laughs> so yeah. then it's like yeah. tell my wife to either run out and grab everything <laughs> yeah. or and try that, to cover them up. <laughs> and, it, and it's not pretty, but what no. the heck. Um, but, you know, we need to go for our first commercial break here. Okay. Uh, but come back, everyone. And we're talking with Larry Hodgson on America's Homegrown Veggies. We'll be back in just a moment. Today's consumers find themselves faced with a greater variety of choices than ever before, both in the food they eat and the information they receive about that food. Feedstuff's Food Link was created to provide you with a balanced source of information for making decisions about your family's balanced diet. Visit FeedstuffsFoodLink.com to learn about your food directly from the source, the people who work every day to provide it. FeedstuffsFoodLink.com, connecting farm to fork. Hi, I'm Paisley McDonald, and I'd like to invite you to listen to my show, At Home with Paisley, every week, Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, for practical advice and stylish living for your home and office. PrivateHealthCareExchanges.com Have you checked out the only online guide where employers, health plans, brokers, and consultants can navigate private exchange and defined contribution markets? Browse PrivateHealthCareExchanges.com today. The emergence of private health insurance exchanges represents perhaps the most significant shift in how Americans purchase health benefits in years. As employers move their employee population into private exchanges, this trend is on a growth projection into the 2015 benefit year and beyond, according to research published by Allegis Technologies. Visit PrivateHealthCareExchanges.com today to browse our national searchable directory and for Healthcare Exchange Solutions magazine and newsletter. Be sure to submit your listing for inclusion in this groundbreaking guide at www.PrivateHealthCareExchanges.com. That's www.PrivateHealthCareExchanges.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. Remember, you can catch up with us on Facebook at America's Homegrown Veggies. And if you miss any shows, you can find them on americaswebradio.com webpage and you can find them on iTunes and Stitches. And don't forget that the station also has an app. Just search for America's Web Radio and you can then you can press the app and it goes straight to the, sh- the program at 10 o'clock every Saturday. Uh, this morning, we are talking talking with Larry Hodgson, who writes for both the English and French Canadian gardeners. And so, Larry, we talked a little about um, growing. And uh, dur- during the break, we were talking a little about um, how to grow on a slope, which is what I had in um, Virginia. It was rocky and a slope. Um, and raised beds don't really work too well. So how did you deal with that for making garden beds? 
Yes. Well, where I live, of course, there's slopes everywhere. The Quebec City is built on a mountain. So there's, there's, there's slopes everywhere. You really never have flat spaces to garden or not much. Uh, the worst situation I ever had was I had a basement apartment on a cliffside, essentially. It was a, you walked out back, there was a parking lot, and beyond that was this cliff going down. And I gardened on the cliff, finally. Uh, <laughs> I had nowhere else to go. It was the only space available. And what I did was to, I took boards, I'd put them on the slope, I'd hammer them with stakes in, so they held into place, and I'd knock soil down and do it. Then I'd go another level below and do the same thing. So it's essentially creating a series of narrow steps on the cliffside. And uh, it actually it was in full sun. The vegetables loved it, nice and warm for my climate. The, whole, the only thing was, I felt every time I was going down that slope trying to take care of the plants or harvest, I was risking my knife because if I'd fallen, I would have ended up down the gully down below. Uh, I kept saying I should really tie myself up and, and rappel down, which just sounded like a strange way to vegetable garden. But it would have been the way to go, really. <laughs> I mean that that would that would make a wonderful YouTube video how to water your garden on a slope. <laughs> oh, well, well, yeah, I didn't have a hose either. I was just <laughs> yeah. Okay. It was it was quite insane, but I, I desperately needed to grow vegetables that year. Just felt yeah. the need to do so. We moved after that. I hated that apartment. <laughs> oh, I, I think it would be so depressing in, in when you can't grow anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, but, um, you know, I know your winters obviously are, are long and dark, even if you've got decent uh, ground outside. So do people um, start growing indoors with, with lights and hydroponics and things like that? Is that starting to take off so that people can grow throughout the year? or a little longer? Well, definitely. People grow a lot of their seedlings indoors, and we do use lights uh, at this time of year. For example, if you want to start things really early, well, there's not enough, there's not enough light. You can't do it. You, you'd need to do something, and I use our fluorescent lights for the moment. Maybe I'll switch to Dell lights. They're coming down in price. Uh, I'm not sure. I haven't found that I've had a great deal of luck personally growing vegetables indoors under fluorescent lights it's just not intense enough it's great for growing greens you know anything you just sprouts or greens or anything you harvest really young but it's just not strong enough for for vegetables and i i do have one of those big um hydrogen lamps in my basement which creates an incredible amount of light but you practically have to wear sunglasses to go and they don't care of anything and it gets so dry in there because it heats up everything so I've, I'm sticking with fluorescence for the moment. It's not too hot, and uh, I can at least get my seedlings up well, get my young plants going, and once again, through the, through the winter, I can still grow sprouts and, and, and leaf vegetables under light cycle as well. Yeah. I'm actually going to be trying hydroponics for the first time um, yeah. this year. Um, my husband brought, brought me a little hydroponic kit, so, of course, you need the actual plants. You can't use seeds really to be profitable so that's good and i'm doing doing lettuce type things and kales in there the one thing though that i did find when i was growing in a, a hoop house many years ago without that that false quiet environment with no wind and no rain and things like that and being almost babied really didn't develop a great taste compared to no. the outdoors no they tend to be a bit water <laughs> the, the leaf vegetables tend to be a bit watery there's just that uh, that, one of the reasons I, I rarely grow, for example, I rarely grow um, 
leaf lettuce, I find it has no taste under, under those circumstances. Romaine has more of a taste to start with, so it'll have a bit more when you grow it under light. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and I, I think sometimes, you know, when, when um, you know, pe- people try these things indoors, you know, sometimes the plants don't work out quite as well as, the, as they would like. Um, but, but, you know, I mean, I think we're, we're all kind of challenged a little bit, particularly when, when winter has gone on for so long and it's February and you're still getting snow showers and then it's March and it's cold and drear. You have to do something, don't you? Oh, absolutely. But of course, I must have been asked hundreds of houseplants. So if I'm really feeling, well, what I usually do is I, I, I say putter about when I'm just feeling totally locked in. I'll drop whatever I'm doing and just wander around among my houseplants and take a few dead leaves off and pinch a plant there and trim a plant there. And I'm not really doing anything of great importance, <laughs> but I just feel better. And I just get back to work and I'm fine. I just need to do that every day, you know, a couple of minutes every day. Just get into my plants and touch a few things. It makes me feel so much better. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, to, Quebec is, is um, you know, when we went well there in the summer, um, I noticed that they got raised beds in front of the government building. Um, now, obviously, that, that would have started kind of a little later in the season. But was this their first year or how did that project start? Well, there's there's a an all, there's this big movement here, which I know you have in the U.S. as well, towards urban gardening and urban urban food gardening, especially, and it's been going on for a couple of years now, and getting stronger every year. There have been urban gardens coming in here and there and everywhere. There's beautiful rooftop gardens here with growing vegetables, uh, and this particular garden got its start last winter in February. When uh, somebody at the government contacted this group called Les Urbains Cultures, the urban growers, if I want to translate it from French, saying, would they be interested in putting a food garden in front of the, of the parliament buildings? And uh, normally a government project like that would have taken <laughs> five years to get off the ground. But no, that very first year, within, within two months, everything was set up and ready, and they got the gardens in. Uh, pretty much on time, and by the end of the summer, they had a, had a really good first-year crop. It'll be better next, this year, of course, because some of the plants got a, a bit of a late start this year, but uh, it really worked well. It was, it's so impressive. You go in front of a big government building, and there's all these beds of vegetables. That's not what you expect. No, um, and so, so it was just steps or something before yeah. they put those beds in? Yeah, there was, there was steps under them, and there was a green lawn and the top part. And they've now got these gardens in. They're mostly vegetables, mostly annuals, but a few fruit, uh, fruit plants and trees. So, which of course we d- you didn't get much off those this year, but in future years they should start to produce as well. And so, so who are the ones that actually uh, start the plants to go in there, or were they purchased from a commercial grower? No, they were started locally by this group of, of volunteer gardeners that have been putting in rooftop gardens and other uh, urban spaces around here. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously you've got a lot of gardeners up, up, up there. Um, another one that that, um, that I saw up there that you kind of briefly mentioned, there was a rooftop garden yeah. um, where people were growing in those soft smart pots. Yeah. Um, have those taken off as well? Yes, I, I w- I, I really wish I had bought shares on smart pots because <laughs> <laughs> they have really become popular. They were popularized by this group, these Les Urbains Cultures, 
who started using them on this particular rooftop garden in Quebec City and had such great results. And people, of course, people come to visit the gardens and come out with the idea, gee, I could do that. I could have a garden on my balcony. I could have a garden on my roof. I could have a garden on my terrace. So uh, people come out with the idea that you can grow plants in those containers. So they've, they've gone really well. It's, and the garden itself is quite spectacular. It's a, it's a former hotel, which is now a residence for the homeless, homeless shelter. And there's a food kitchen. And, of course, all these vegetables go to the food kitchen. So it's a, it's a wonderful place to have that kind of vegetable garden. And, and how big was that garden? I know it was on a rooftop, um, yeah. but it seemed quite extensive. And they were growing such great things up there. Oh, they, they, yes. I couldn't say how big it is. It's fairly large. And uh, they, were, they grow standard crops that they know they're going to be able to use readily, uh, lettuce and tomatoes, peppers, etc., but they were always experimenting. I've been there every year since they started. I think it's the fifth year now, or will be the fifth year. And they've, they've tried growing grapes in containers Ooh. and all sorts of things, even melons. I mean, in our climate, you don't usually think about melons. But it's a rooftop. It's protected from the north wind because of the construction of the building. And it's just that much warmer than it normally would be. And last summer, the melons did fine. So, hey, maybe we'll grow watermelons here soon. I don't know. <laughs> well, may, may, maybe there's some short-season watermelons. I mean, wouldn't that be wonderful? <laughs> yeah, that, that would be. I think there are. It's just a question of, of getting to use them and trying them out and finding which ones do the best because you're not going to find many local people who have recommendations on, on successfully growing watermelons. <laughs> it's been considered impossible in the past. Yeah. And, and before they started that, um, did they use in the smart pots yeah. ra- rather than raised bed, traditional raised beds, did that um, alleviate the problems with weight um, on a rooftop? Because obviously there are some roofs when, were not traditionally made to have gardens on top. Um, did they have to address that? Oh, and was that why they went to smart pots originally? Well, originally they didn't do smart pots. They were using a container, which I would say, if you know of the earth box, yeah, it's not the earth box as a sort of competitor, but of the same style. It was these were plastic containers, sort of uh, long, almost like a flower box with a water reservoir inside that you could hook up between them, so you could have water flowing from one to the next. And they first. A year they used those, but it was very expensive, and the smart pots were cheaper. And uh, they switched over to the smart pots after uh, the first year. And and I was amazed at the different sizes of them. Um, it was almost some of them were, were planted like one cabbage in kind of a one foot one, yeah. um, which was doing absolutely wonderfully. And then they they had ones that were almost the size of a swimming pool, a kiddie's yeah. kiddie's swimming pool. <laughs> yeah, not... kiddie's swimming pool. Oh yeah, those are, I forget what I think they're eight foot or nine foot. I'm not sure. They're no, the the. They're quite interesting because, and I have one. I, I tried it for myself. I wanted to see how it worked. And it was kind of neat. You you just have to. Almost like a kiddie swimming pool. You just have to roll it out, unroll it, and fill it full of soil. Yeah. So that was kind of a, a, a new way of starting a garden. <laughs> I've never done it that way before. Yeah, and the, the other thing that I, I noticed, I mean, they, they were talking that you could get um, mint 
to stay in place because the mint roots wouldn't go out in the air. I'm going to try try mint in one to see if that truly is um, true. But, you know, we need to take another quick commercial break here. But I want to remind everyone, you're listening to America's Homegrown Veggies, and we will be back with more from Laurie Hodgson, and we'll talk maybe about some more short-season gardening. We'll be right back. Do your children know where their food comes from? At ConnectingFarmToFork.com, there's all kinds of ways to help your child understand how 300 million of us here in America stay nourished, clothed, and healthy. Activities, food facts, and farm visits help young people learn about America's hardworking farmers and have lots of fun doing it. Visit ConnectingFarmToFork.com today for a learning experience that will really grow on you. ConnectingFarmToFork.com, brought to you by the people who care at Feedstuff's Food Link. Quick Stakes. That's Q-U-I-K steaks are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quicksteak.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of quick steaks. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's quick steaks, Q-U-I-K steaks, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. This is America's Webradio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. You're back listening to America's Homegrown Veggie Show. I am the host of the show, Kate Copsey, and this morning we are talking with French-Canadian Larry Hodgson. Um, And, Larry, we mentioned um, the government buildings and things like that up north. Well, obviously, these were all in in full sun. Um, And we mentioned that you had a short season but a long day. Um, Are there any specific varieties, for instance, of, of lettuce and tomatoes that you would recommend people in that similar short season um, maybe should look for? What what type of things um, would, would people really do well with in short seasons? Well, in short seasons, right, right off the bat, if you're, if you're stuck uh, with a short season and maybe a cool growing season uh, and possibly shade on top of that, I would say that that green vegetables will probably do better than, the, than fruiting ones. It's, you'd love to be able to grow wonderful, incredible tomatoes in a, in a cool climate in shade, but it's just not going to work. But you can get most of the, the foliage plant types to, to, grow, the green, to grow the green ones. The lettuce will be all right, especially if you harvest them young. You can keep sowing and harvesting, and you'd be doing all right. I find they do all, all right in my climate in partial shade, but of course we do have a longer day than most people. So that helps compensate for the, the lack of sun. And, and when you look through catalogs, do some of them say long day or short season or short day? And, and is that something that you particularly would look for on a, on a variety? You don't see it too often except in onions, of course. And if you, get to, you just have to avoid onions that, that were developed for the south, and we should be all right with those. But what I'm looking for mostly is days to maturity. I try not to go over 80, which is like an absolute maximum, and preferably it would be 60 or less, which sounds horrible, but that's about what I'm dealing with. So if, if I'm putting in something that says 80 days to maturity, I have to think of being able to protect it if necessary. And, and that would be the same with tomatoes and peppers and all, all the yeah. warm, warm season vegetables. Yeah. Yes. And, of course, there are a couple of varieties that are specifically devi- developed for the north. 
there's a very well-known and not too modern variety of tomato called Siberia, which is developed <laughs> for a very cold climate. But it's not the tastiest tomato in the world, so <laughs> I, I try for other things. But uh, I do look, I do always do look and try to what the dates are, and I do start things indoors, of course. I mean, it's an auto, automatic for me. Even even things like cucumbers, which are pretty fast, uh, unless. I realize we're having a really early spring. I would still start them indoors just to get those few extra days. That makes a huge difference for me. And, and presumably, in, in the when, when you do hit spring, people can buy plants uh, um, fairly easily of the vegetables too, right? Oh, absolutely. That's a, a bit like in the U.S. You'd have farmers markets and you would have uh, garden centers. They would all sell plants. Personally, I rarely buy plants of vegetables just seems so easy to start them yourself and much cheaper but uh and you don't get it you don't get the choice when you buy them i there although there is i know one farmer's market where there's a specialist in peppers and also tomatoes but mostly peppers does have a really good choice but most of the time you go to a garden center you're going to have four vegetables types of tomatoes that's that's nothing. You know. There's so much more in the tomato world than those four classic varieties. Oh, yes, yeah. So, so if, you, if you're growing veggies, what type of um, pests with that short season? Does it kill things like, for instance, Japanese beetle? Uh, we don't have them yet. We may <laughs> never have them. You know, there, there are advantages growing, if you're growing in the north, and one of them, of course, is you have fewer insect pests. Uh, you'll, you'll find that a lot of insects don't overwinter here. Uh, that's theoretically the case for Japanese beetle, but we're not sure because they still maybe could make their way up here. The, on the downside, you do sometimes get insects that will fly up from the south, oh. attack your plants in the summer, and then die. But <laughs> then they're back the next summer again. So uh, that that can happen. But we, we do avoid a lot of insect pests that way. So there's a lot less insect problems. I can't say the same for diseases. As far as I know, the diseases all over winter here. There's no problem at all for them. Uh, we're, we don't have deer yet. Oh. Deer are moving slowly northward. Every year they move a little closer, and they're getting very close, but they still haven't gotten to the Quebec City area yet. So we, we don't have to fight deer off to keep our vegetables going, and I know a lot of people have problems with that, but no, there, there are no deer here, not yet. And so, so what? What? Uh, what other pests and things would you have? Maybe that would compensate for. Uh, maybe you have moose or, or something like that yeah. that come in. Yeah, we do have we do have moose. Moose are everywhere here. But and I hear that they cause problems in Alaska. But here, the moose tend to stay out of our gardens. They just I've I've had a moose go through my garden, squash a few things. But it didn't eat anything. It was, I think, a bit panicked. <laughs> oh. But uh, I've never had it actually eat anything, so I don't have to fight them off. And there are uh, people have a hard time believing this, but we we have caribou just a few kilometers from the city, but they stay in the mountains and they don't come down to the city at all. So we, I would, I could. Well, I hate to imagine a horde of caribou munching their way through my garden. That would be horrible. It's never happened. But we don't. We still have groundhogs. I guess my main animal pest would be the groundhog. Every single year, they come up from somewhere and do all sorts of damage. And really, 
quite annoying. I'm not a great groundhog lover. <laughs> <laughs> the community garden that I'm, I'm working in, we, we were fighting a groundhog there as well. Oh. I mean, they, they seem like they, I mean, I didn't think they ate tomato leaves, but they, they do, or oh, this one does. Um, and he does lettuce and he does peppers. And, you know, oh. if, if he's not eating them, he's wrecking them. Um, oh, yeah. and, they, and they cause other damage as well. I mean, I have a lot of things under floating row cover. Gives me a couple of, you know, a degree or two more sometimes, and they they eat holes through it. If at least they crawled in from the side <laughs> and just ate a few vegetables, that would you know so bad. But no, they they cut holes right through my floating roll cover, so it's no good. So <laughs> I really don't like them much. <laughs> We have to suffer so much. <laughs> oh, well. yeah. The annoying thing when you're a gardener is you put all your energy into growing these things and your love and you're just so much enjoying the results. And then for one to the next, it all goes to pot. <laughs> yeah. You never know. That can just so easily happen. Yeah. Um, but I think that's kind of part and parcel with, um, you know, trying to grow things outdoors. Um, but, but anyway, many of your books are um, about shade gardening. Particularly, um, are there any vegetables that grow in the shade? And if people are maybe in a, a wooded lot or maybe a lightly wooded lot, um, how much shade is too much shade for anything, and what can they grow? Well, uh, for one thing, you can—I I find you cannot define shade. It just—it's too variable. Sun moves, and the tree leaves block some part of the day. You have to try things to find out what will grow. And if you're going to try. Classic vegetables, I would definitely start with leaf vegetables first and see how they do before trying anything else. If you really have shade, make terrible shade, you have to be a bit more original and go for things that most people wouldn't think of growing. Uh, one example of something which actually gets a bit weedy, but it'll grow in the shade, you know, fuki, I suppose, which is a, a Japanese uh, vegetable. Uh, it's got gigantic leaves. But when you harvest it in the spring, it, it's one of the first crops you can harvest, and it's perfectly permanent and not, doesn't mind shade at all. It doesn't like the drought, though. Have to keep it moist. And, of course, uh, you can always grow in, in very deep shade. You can grow ostrich ferns and have fiddleheads in the spring. They're, they're excellent. Ramsons, which are, are sort of a, a woodland onion, they're fine in the shade as well. But they're not your classical vegetables. It's hard to grow the classical ones in shade, that's for sure. And, and so are there maybe some lettuces that do better um, in a little bit of shade? I know in the south, um, when things are traditionally said full sun, we used to say, forget that. Um, it needs shade from 3 o'clock in the afternoon to stop it wilting. Um, so are there some that are better up in the north? I haven't really noticed that. Of course, things don't really wilt here, so it's, that's not a, it doesn't get hot enough for that. Uh, it's just... Now, you still need some sun even for, even for those. I find that I can get a pretty good job with lettuce, but it will be sort of weak. It won't be its green, dark green self in a shady spot. You can still harvest it and use it, but it won't have quite the, the taste either. It tends to be a bit wimpy in flavor when you mm. grow it in too much shade. So, so if you've got, got shade, the best method probably would be to go and find a community garden or something like that to, to play in for the vegetables. Yeah. And they're, they're widely available. There are community gardens all over the place. And uh, I do not use a community garden right now, but I have over the years been involved in several. And uh, 
there's no problem with that. I, the only problem I found with community gardens, I would love to live right next door to my community garden. That would be perfect. I find that when they're a certain distance away, I tend not to go often enough. And any garden will tell you it's when you're not there that things go wrong. So <laughs> I have a bit of trouble with that. Yeah. And, you know, and and I think particularly, you know, when 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 you're in a community garden, you really need to go on a, a regular basis. Oh, yeah. and, and part of that, of course, is not just the vegetables, but you get to meet the other gardeners. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the... The nearest I've ever lived was about a five-minute walk, which wasn't too bad. That I, I, I tend to go every single day, and it was perfect. It went very well. The last one I had, it was about a 15-minute walk, and that was enough to discourage me from going more than twice a week. Well, I missed out all sorts of things. Uh, I came one time to find that half my uh, cauliflowers had been eaten up by uh, groundhogs. <laughs> and that, that, day, that went back. I'd actually been back every day for almost a week, and I hadn't gone. So I found it very hard. And I had this sort of rule, I will not drive a car to a vegetable garden. That is not allowed. You've got to walk. So it should be close. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it does become an issue when you have to take tools with you um, oh, yeah. to do that. Yeah. I, th- this particular garden had a tool shed, so that wasn't so bad. Although a previous one, which is uh, a little bit farther, I had to carry my tools every time. I did it, too. But it was tough. I was also a single father. So I had to drag my son and my tools every time I went to the garden and drag them both back. And, you know, sometimes kids are almost as bad a problem as groundhogs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yes. (laughs) When when he cries, I don't want to go. <laughs> oh, whoa. Yeah, oh, yeah, well, let's pull, pull these little, little lettuce up with the weed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I remember one time, I, well, I was working at one end of the, of the garden, not even paying attention to him, thinking how nice and quiet he was being. He was pulling out all my carrots one by one. And they were just little tiny things. He was, he was eating them. But, I mean, they were only like two inches long. I mean, <laughs> that's not what I was – I was – planning on a real harvest of those carrots. (laughs) And I bet you remind him of that sometimes. Yeah, well, you know, he's a big vegetable gardener to this day. And so I'm not going to complain about it. It's just one of the little annoyances that occurred over the years. Yeah, it it takes a while to feel positive about that, though. (laughs) But, you know, we need to take our final commercial break here. But come back, everyone, and listen to more about uh, Larry and the books that he's written after these messages. Quick Stakes, that's Q-U-I-K Stakes, are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of Quick Stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's Quick Stakes, Q-U-I-K Stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. Hi, I'm Paisley McDonald, and I'd like to invite you to listen to my show, At Home with Paisley, every week, Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern, for practical advice and stylish living for your home and office. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. I hope 
you're enjoying America's homegrown veggie show this morning. We have been talking about short season growing up in uh, Quebec and areas like that with Larry Hodgson from the beautiful city of Quebec. And Larry, your website uh, indicates that you've written over two dozen books, um, everything from indoor plants to outdoor growing in containers and many other topics. Um, so let's start with what is the website? Well, I have a brand new website, actually. I, 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 oddly enough, it's going to sound strange to Americans, but I, I'd never had an English language website in the past. Uh, it didn't seem necessary here in Quebec to have one that was in English. Of course, I do have people who buy my books in English, but it was like, oh, do I really want to run two websites? But it is up now. It's laidbackgardener at wordpress.com. And uh, it's been up for about two weeks now. So uh, I think it's going pretty well. But uh, I've got things about my books. I've got things about my, my lectures and travels and whatnot. And I'm trying to do a bit of a blog, too. So I'll see how that comes along. It's all very, very new. Oh, good. And I know when I when I uh, googled your your name, it came, came up with Le Jardinier Par- Parousier. Parousier, yes. Yeah, the, yeah. The, the laid back gardener. That I've been going under that name in French for years and years and years and years. And uh, in English, it would translate I, to the lazy gardener. But a lot of other people are using that name, so I'm trying the laid back gardener, which apparently is not as much taken in, in English. And, but it describes you as well, right? <laughs> oh, absolutely. I like to, I like to, well, you know, I'm not one of these people who fights things. If I cannot grow something, I just don't have the conditions. So be it. That's the way it is. I'll put in something else. Uh, there's, there's always something you can grow. And I don't like to fight things. And it's, among, among other things, uh, I'm not one of these people who's going to protect their plants in the winter to keep them warm. If it can't take my climate, well, then so what? I'll grow something else. So that's one of my attitudes is just take it easy. I like to enjoy gardening. I don't like to work at it. Yeah, so, so you're not going to push the envelope too much. Um, no, no. I'll, I, I'll push the envelope in putting in plants in spots they really like, and then they can take care of themselves. Yeah. Um, when, when I was over in England, actually, I went down to one place, and they were trying to grow uh, pineapples in a cr- pineapple pit. And to heat the pit, they needed tons of uh, horse manure um, yeah. so they were shoveling that in um, and they gradually got got these uh, pineapples to grow in England uh, which you know is okay if you were Victorian when it was built but I don't think an average gardener would want to do that um, no, that's going overboard <laughs> <laughs> and, and your, your books are, are available um, in England are they available through the site um, as well? uh, no I don't I don't sell books myself but they're on Amazon so when people go to my site and they click on a book and want to know more, at the end it'll say where to buy it, and it'll be usually be Amazon because they're the ones who have it. Okay. So I'm giving them that for free, aren't I nice? <laughs> and actually, if you go go to Amazon.com and put your name in, it does come up with the English ones, not the French ones. If we have any um, French people listening, where would they find the French ones? Um, why don't they try Amazon.ca, which is the Canadian version? of Amazon, and they'll find the French ones there. Oh, okay. Um, and how about talks and things? Do you give um, talks and presentations to garden groups um, across the place? I do. I do a lot of them. I do them all uh, pretty much all the time. Uh, I tend to give them mostly in French, pretty obviously, because I'm sort of right in the middle of French Canada, and there's no English-speaking areas within driving distance. Per <laughs> <day>. <laughs> but I do do some lectures occasionally outside of my 
my local area, in, in, and they would be in English, of course. <laughs> okay, um, and, and you'd use the same, I guess, uh, t- type of a- approach. Um, but I also noticed, um, do you do do you do garden tours? Yes, I do a lot of garden tours. I just went over my list for this year, and I realized I have ten of them to do this year. So, but they're in French for the moment. I, I developed the English language market, but I have, for example, give you an example. I'll be going to Costa Rica in March. I'll be going to uh, Holland in April, Paris in May, and it just goes on like that for for the rest Ooh. of the year. So I do get a lot of travel and, and, and a lot of garden tours. Oh, what fun! Um, oh yeah. <laughs> and, and so, so how do people um, sign up for these um, these tours? Um, well, they would be if they went to my website, they could find them, and, and I direct them to whatever travel agency is putting is organizing them. So they'd say, oh, "This is this one would be interesting." Click on that, and it'll take you to the agency that does the work. Okay. So, uh, it's, it, of course, this is all very new, but it works for the moment. So that's it. And, and, the, and, and these are garden-based tours, right? Oh, absolutely, yes. Yeah. Uh, some of them more than others. I, I, I vary the tour depending on where we're going. For example, Costa Rica, I call it a garden and nature tour because we won't just be in gardens. We'll be, we will be in a few gardens, but we mostly in nature. And other tours are strictly gardens. We do very little of anything else. Um, for example, uh, Paris. Uh, if you take the Paris tour, it's, it's not because you want to see the Eiffel Tower. There'll be free time if you want to go see the Eiffel Tower. You can do that. But it'll be gardens, so we just basically visit gardens the whole time. Oh, wonderful. Um, I also noticed on on your site that you've got a a great calendar that gives people where you are and when. Um, And are these events usually open to the public? Oh, yeah. If if I put on the calendar, it's because people can go to it. So Uh, you'll see different uh, activities and and lectures that they give. And... uh, they're always available. Of course, it's a local garden club. They probably will have a, a charge of some sort, five or six dollars for non-members. But yes, you can attend those. Yeah. So, so, so it t- tells exactly where where the the event is being held, um, yeah. and people can just t- turn up to it. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and if people maybe they've got a, a garden group that they would like to invite you to be um, yeah. a speaker, how do they find out what what talks you um, you give and what options you have? Well, the, if they go to my website, again, I'll give the address. It's laidbackgardener at wordpress.com. They'll find a page about lectures, and they can go there, and it'll give the lectures that I give, a list of those, and it, they'll uh, be able to get information on how to reach me. So, uh, and, what, and what, what sort of topics do you talk about? And I seem to remember there, there was one on containers, or was that one of the books? I don't recall now. Yeah, one of the books, too, well, I've it gets complicated, but yeah, because I've done so many books and whatnot. Yep, yeah, it'll be containers about uh, gardening, indoors gardening, outdoors, uh, tips and tricks to reduce the work. So I'm, I'm very big on trying to make gardening easier. Uh, specific types of plants as well. I tend to be a bit of a plant nut, so I like to talk about plants, uh, even plants you don't hear about too often. I mean, one lecture, which is... I'm getting a lot of interest in is biennials. Nobody ever talks about biennials, and they're just oh, plants. That's true. And, you know, but, they, but no one talks about them, and they're wonderful. So <laughs> things like that. Also, a lot of lectures about the gardens across the world because I do so much garden travel. So uh, gardens of England or gardens of France or great gardens of the planet, whatever, I've got lectures on that sort of thing. Oh, wonderful. Real, real variety. Um, oh, yeah. and, and there's a way to contact you if they want these talks um, on your website? Absolutely. If, 
if you go to the website, uh, you simply can send a message and uh, get to me that way, or you can actually call me or whatever. All of that information is available. Oh, wonderful. Um, and and they, then you can give them um, whatever information they, they need as far, far as costs and things like that. Exactly. Yeah. So, so, I mean, if you're going to um, Costa Rica and places like that um, with, with tours, um, is there a limit to how far outside the city you prefer to talk? Um, it just depends on how much time it takes to get there and go back. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's maybe my major limit. And if I have to stay overnight or whatever, well, then we have to try and make arrangements for that. No, I, I do give lectures at a certain distance, but um, I kind of like to be home in my bed <laughs> when I'm not traveling. <laughs> <laughs> well, particularly in, in the winter. I mean, do you, do you find most of your talks are, are over the winter months and into spring whenever that happens, or, or does it go yeah. all the way through the year? Um, it, you know, it used to be really winter, spring, and a little bit in fall. But it's picked up enormously, and it goes through winter and now right into summer. But July and August are still the quietest months, of, but fall is really picked up. There's quite a few lectures in the fall as well. Oh, great. Um, yeah, and, I, you know, and I, I think you know, when, when people get to hear your talks and things, I, I think it's wonderful. Um, do you have the same books um, in, on the English Amazon as the Canadian Amazon? They're just translations of, of all the books, or are they different books? They're different books. I have I have never translated any of my books. I've always rewritten them. It's like, like as a, as a writer, someone <laughs> says we like this book in French. Let's say we want it in English. I will automatically say, well, yes, but since I wrote that book two years ago, this has changed and that has changed and that has changed, and so <laughs> I'll want to rewrite it. I don't I don't like to. Although a couple of my books have been translated into Dutch for some reason. Oh, a couple of them. Have, I don't know why, but. They've been translated into Dutch. Huh, that's interesting. <laughs> it, is, it is odd, isn't it? You wonder of all the languages, why Dutch? But no, that's the way it's worked out. Yeah. Well, I, I guess the uh, bulbs and, and gardens, I mean, they're famous for different bulbs ideas. So. Well, they, they garden a lot, and my, and my books deal with general gardening. So, yeah, they, they obviously find some sort of interest in, in those. Although, just a, an anecdote for what can happen to an author once I was in uh, Belgium, and I found this wonderful garden show. I was visiting this garden show, and I'd come across this woman who was um, who had these great plants, absolutely stunning plants, like which I couldn't buy because she can't bring them back. And I started talking to her. I said, oh, "Are you from Canada?" She says, "Oh, I've just got this really great new book about gardening in the shade." And it was my book, of course, that she found. <laughs> Oh, how nice. Oh. Yeah. You always feel good when that sort of thing happens. Oh, and that, that, that is, because you know somebody has actually read it and appreciated it. Yes, they didn't know who I was. It was like, wow, okay, great. And, and so you signed, signed it for her, I assume. Oh, absolutely, yes. And, and if, if, you go, if you give talk, talks and things, are, are people able, if they've got one of your books, they can uh, present it for you to sign, or do you sell books through when I, you do I talks? I sell books. Uh, as well, but if they have one that they that they want signed, of course they can bring it. Yeah, no problem. And so, so which one was your latest book that you that you uh, wrote? In what language? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, one one of each. <laughs> okay, uh, making the most of shade in English. Okay. And in French, it would be La Bible des Vivants, the perennial Bible. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, uh, what what zone would you be for perennials? I'm in zone three. Three? Ooh, even mint isn't perennial in three. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, you know, that's that's 
possibly true, but we get great snow cover. <laughs> Enormous. I mean, yeah. we get five feet of snow on the ground, right? Yeah. yeah. And so I can grow zone four plants with no problem. Not just not trees and shrubs. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, you know, Larry, we're right at the end of the program here. I've had a great chat with you. I've really enjoyed it. Um, Wonderful. Yeah. Um, but thank, thank you, everyone, for listening to America's homegrown veggies. Thank you, Larry. It's been uh, it's been great talking to you. Um, we'll be back next week with another show talking all about growing veggies. Have a good gardening week and join me back here next Saturday.